on this episode of Progressive Palaver, I revisit the Stephen Wilson catalog. a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair, and on this solo edition of Progressive Palaver, I reflect on my experiences with the Stephen Wilson solo catalog. As we finished up with the Stephen Wilson catalog, I've had the idea of doing this episode for quite some time. In fact, we're probably eight, ten months that I've been attempting to record this episode. I've actually, I've actually recorded an episode at least twice that weren't quite what I was looking for. So we'll see if this one. Uh, comes out the way that I hope it would and actually makes it to publication. But I, I, I have confidence that it will. So why would I feel the need to revisit the Stephen Wilson catalog? Part of the reason that I would need to do that is the exceptional impact that sequence of the podcast had on me. I was aware of Stephen Wilson. We had talked about it on the podcast. In 2007, we went to Holland for a Marillion weekend, and Porcupine Tree performed at one of the evenings. And I remember all of us being impressed with Porcupine Tree, and I made a note to keep the little postcard-type advertisement that they handed out at that performance so that I would remember who this band was. But I can also tell you that I never did follow up on getting to know or procuring any of their music. I just didn't. And it was several years after, probably five or six, I was house-sitting for a friend of mine, and I'll never forget this. I had just recently discovered at that point Pandora. I was house-sitting at her house during the summer, and she has a pool, and I was in the pool, and I'd had my iPad set up sort of over on the side on a Marillion channel, and Blackfield came on, specifically the song Blackfield, and I was compelled to get out of the pool and risk water damage to my iPad to see what this song and what this artist was. And that was was really what got me hooked on Stephen Wilson. And I, I was I was heavily into Blackfield at the time. I just I was blown away when I heard the the first two albums. And I was like, this is fantastic. And Somewhere around that time, I guess, was when the their third studio album, Welcome to My DNA, came out. And I, I didn't really connect with that at the time. And, and that was 
an album that Stephen Wilson had less to do with. And so, you know, I had it in my head that everything that was good about Blackfield came from Stephen Wilson and Aviv Geffen had, you know, he was just some sort of a whatever. I've since changed that that perception, but that that was sort of where I was at the time. So I also had it in my head that the Stephen Wilson solo stuff came before Blackfield. I don't know why I thought that, but I always, I always had that perception uh, as we got into it. And I also knew very little about Stephen Wilson's solo catalog before we started that segment. What I did know, and again, we talked about this on the podcast, was the fact that that Paul was absolutely just crazy about Hand Cannot Erase and tried several times over several years to get me into that album. And it just uh, it just didn't work for me. I, I, I just didn't really connect with it in the way that he did. So when we went into that segment, I was, I was a neophyte. I really did not know or, or understand. As we prepped for that episode or for, for that segment, I had another business trip where I was in Europe. And this was actually the trip in, I believe it was September of 2018, I guess it would have been. It was the trip where I went down to Vevey, Switzerland to see the church where um, the organ parts for Yes is Going for the One were recorded. And that was a really, really fun day trip. I, I thoroughly enjoyed everything about that. But one of the things that I enjoyed about it was I had the first three or four Stephen Wilson albums loaded up on my phone. And so not only did I spend the day riding the train across the just stunning, beautiful, gorgeous Swiss countryside down to Lake Geneva, which was an adventure unto itself. Um, that was that was something I will never, ever forget when you're, you spend most of the train ride in in these beautiful sort of mountain farmlands or pastures and you go through this tunnel and you come out way high above Lake Geneva but you can just tell as soon as you come out from the tunnel that something's different because you've got all the the light reflecting off of the water and it was so stunning so while I'm having this wonderful experience and heading out to Vevey to find this church and you know just exploring Switzerland on my own, which was, which was thrilling. I'm doing it listening to Stephen Wilson. And, you know, I kind of got just roped in right away. It was spectacular. You know, just, it was a great way to sort of expose myself to his music. And, you know, embarrassingly enough, even I, I, you know, I, I wasn't doing my hard research at, at that point. It was really just repeated listenings and trying to get a feel for the different albums and and understanding and starting to look for the threads that I look for when we do a segment on an artist. You know, and, and a lot of that is just repeated exposure and 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 repeated listening. So that's that was where I was, and I. 
I would have sworn up and down that the first two albums, at least, in Inserhentes and Grace for Drowning, were recorded long before Blackfield. I would have stomped my feet and, and, and you know, signed an affidavit to that effect. Of course, I subsequently found out that was not the case. In fact, the Stephen Wilson solo records came significantly after the first several Blackfield albums, and I was a little confused at first. Although, having spent more time with them now and understanding a little bit more about the Stephen Wilson catalog, it makes perfect sense to me now. But at the time, I I just I didn't know enough, and so I was like, that's kind of weird. But it was it was a very very enjoyable experience, sort of spending time with those albums, and then you know obviously as we moved through the catalog, and I got to spend quality time with uh, the Raven that refused to sing, which is just you know it's it's a it's a prog powerhouse. It's it's really a masterpiece. It's well documented. Sort of my change of perception on the podcast regarding hand cannot erase. There was something about seeing the videos that are associated with that, with the singles from that album, that really sort of allowed the tumblers to to click for that. And Hand Cannot Erase Now is extraordinarily powerful to me in a way that it was not before. And then, obviously, To the Bone. So, why would I feel the need to come back and revisit these albums. I can tell you that after we finished the Stephen Wilson catalog and I was supposed to be prepping for the Genesis segment, which also required a decent amount of of work on my part, I found myself repeatedly going back to Stephen Wilson. Specifically, the last three albums... And probably more specifically, Raven and To the Bone. I could not get away from those records. I was drawn to them, even though I should have been listening to other things. And some of it was due to the fact that I saw Stephen Wilson in the end of 2018, so just about a year ago, and we did a special concert series on that. And it was very, very compelling. But even after that show, I found myself going back to these albums time and time again. I could not, I couldn't escape them. I couldn't get away from them. And the more time that I spent with these records, the more I discovered and the more I found I enjoyed them on a whole. Everything about them. And it was, you know, like I said, I... I, I was compelled to listen to these long after I needed to with regards to the podcast. I was I was smitten with these records. And I guess about this this time or shortly after, you know, the turn of the year into early 2019, I then started to go on walks or runs, as the case may be, depending on how I felt on any particular day. And I got myself this this killer set of cordless headphones that made physical activity while listening to whatever was on my phone much more enjoyable. And so I w- would find myself 
you know, again, playing whatever was on my phone and these, these, um, my, my phone had everything, but no, in fact it does. It has all five. Now that I think about it, cause I had, I still had Insurgentes and grace for drowning on there from, from when I did it as well as the Raven. I had actually downloaded, um, hand cannot erase. I've never owned a physical copy of that. And I also had a, a ripped copy, a ripped version of my copy of To the Bone. So I had all five at my disposal. I, I spent most of my time with the last three, however. Um, that's not to say I didn't listen to the others. In fact, it's quite funny. One of my cars has has a Bluetooth stereo. And I haven't quite figured out how it it does the things it does. But every so often... When I start that car, it will go to play like songs off my phone in a shuffle mode, but it always starts at the top of the alphabet, which in this particular case is Abandoner. So I have heard the beginning of Abandoner quite a lot over the last you know year and a half. And sometimes I listen to it and sometimes I just skip through it because I've heard it so much. But I, I have I have been exposed to that. And I, and I have sort of forced myself occasionally to go back and listen to the first two records just to just to be fair to them and, and go back. I still maintain the the opinion that I put forth in the episode on those albums that in a lot of ways, those albums, I think, are practice runs. They're sketches for what Stephen Wilson, the solo artist, would become. That's not to say that they aren't good and that I don't enjoy them, but, you know, a lot of the the hardcore emotional response that the last three albums, you know, extract from me, I don't get from these two. There are moments where a particular emotion is evoked effectively, but it's not it's not the sustained experience that um, that I get from the last three. Now, I will say, like, it just I, I listened actually to Insurgentes today while I was driving around thinking about this, and, and I will say that you know. Songs like Harmony Kareen um, are just, you know, it, it, I think that song is exceptional. It's really, really engaging. And there are some aspects of these two albums that I think ultimately speak to either sounds or techniques or themes or whatever that ultimately will be revisited by Stephen in some of the some of the later records as well. So I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on, on those two, but I, I have, you know, still thoroughly enjoyed those records. Um, even after the fact. Now, when you get to the Raven that refused to sing here, there's something about this record. I mean, it's, it's obviously phenomenal. Like, I mean, even from the get go, the very first time, I heard this record, and I, I'm not going to say everybody, but certainly the first time I heard this record, I was I was smitten from the beginning. 
you know, from the opening notes and the way that album just comes out of the gate right at you is phenomenal. It's so fucking good. And it's so easy to, to just, you know, jam on that. And, you know, here again, this was the first time when Steven was able to extract or elicit a consistent emotional response and do it over the course of an album. And, and that album, I think, is extraordinarily strong in that regard. Now, what I wasn't necessarily prepared for, and it, you know, there, there's almost like another layer to it, because all the time I had listened to The Raven That Refused to Sing had been, you know, in what I'll call usual situations, driving to and from work, um, you know, I would put it on when I was, um, you know, cooking dinner for my kids or, or whatever the case may be. And occasionally I would sit down and listen to it. But round about this time, when I started taking these walks, there was a, there was a period where, and during the summer here in Texas, it's ungodly hot. And the only time it's really wise to go out for an extended walk, certainly during the summer, is at night. And there's a park in my neighborhood just a short walk away. It's a five-minute walk to the park, and I walk a couple loops around, and then I can walk home. And then the whole thing lasts about, you know, depending on how long I want it to last. It's 30 or 40 or even 50 minutes if I'm feeling saucy. And I started doing it at night. And, you know, depending on what I had going on, if I had the kids or we were recording a podcast or if I had work to do, sometimes I would start my walk at, at 10 p.m. So it's it's full dark at that point and you're walking around and usually by the time I, I leave the park, all of the lights on the playing fields are off. And so it's it's, you know, solid darkness. So when you're walking around in the dark listening to the raven that refused to sing in headphones holy crap that's spooky i mean there were a couple of moments where i was like i was getting goosebumps literally because i was hearing things that i had never heard before honestly when i was doing other things or in the car or whatnot i i I wasn't close enough to it to pick up on some of those things. But when you're walking around in the dark, listening to this in headphones, woo, yeah, it's all there. And it can really, I mean, it, it takes a lot to kind of spook me out, but I was definitely spooked. I mean, the first thing that you hear is um, like the, the opening of Holy Drinker with that, that organ kind of bouncing back and forth across the, uh, the, the channels is disorienting, but there's more to it than that. There's, there's just a whole lot of, of spooky ambiance throughout that record, uh, which is as it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be, you know, songs about the supernatural and spooky stuff. And, you know, just, I was so impressed with the way that there was that other level to it that I had not recognized before. I just thought that was super, super cool. So if you love The Raven That Refused to Sing, and I recommend, if you haven't, to listen to it in headphones as you walk around somewhere sort of natural-like in complete darkness, it, uh, it may surprise you. You know, hand cannot erase. Since I've had my epiphany that, again, was, was sort of captured on the episode on that album, 
I have not been able to listen to that album in the same way since. It really does uh, just, it moves me now. And, I, and I'm always drawn back to that, that source material, the inspiration story, if you will. I am just amazed time and time and time again with the song Routine. That really is the, 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 the fulcrum that that whole story spins on. And the way, the masterful way that they produced that song. I, I was, and again, in our episode, I remember telling Paul, one of the bonus tracks that I got with the, the digital purchase that I made was what's called the Nanette ver- mix of Routine. And it's it's basically all Nanette singing, which when you hear that, you're like, oh, that's got to be great. But I'm telling you, as great as it is and as wonderful a singer as she is, it's the switch between Stephen and her that really ramps up the impact of that song. And when it's just the net all the way through, you don't get that sort of that shift in perspective that signals the the change in the storyline. And so whoever made that production decision to keep you know the the two lead vocals and and split up the song along those lines that was a phenomenal choice because to me that single choice really just makes everything about that album so so strong and again i think it's it's a masterful example of storytelling once you know once i knew what the story was like i said i can't hear it in the same way twice now to the bone let's talk about to the bone and i have been carrying this around since since i first heard this record since we did the episode on to the bone this the the very first spoken word intro on truth it still to this day pisses me off actively when i hear it and the reason is to to paraphrase that intro the, the woman says that truth is a matter of individual perception and therefore everyone has their own truth. Now, if I go to the definition of truth from MiriamWebster.com, truth is the body of real things, events, and facts, actuality, the state of being the case, fact, a transcendent fundamental or spiritual reality. You know, for me... Being a scientist, there's there's always a truth, right? Um, however, looking at this, the second definition is a judgment, proposition, or idea that is true or accepted as true. So I guess if you want to look on that definition, you know, you could maybe argue the point. But I'm going to stick with the the, the first definition being the body of real things, events, and facts. There may be different perceptions of those facts, and what those facts mean, and what the intention behind those facts or actions was. But at the heart of everything, there should be a true set of facts that speak to 
why things happened. But that's neither here nor there. And maybe I didn't make my case quite as strongly as I could have. But that still just annoys the crap out of me. Great song, though. Absolutely love the song. What I find interesting and what I really want to just spend a, a minute talking about with regards to To The Bone is when we did that episode, I seem to recall there was a lot going on and I couldn't find my copy of To The Bone for a while, so I didn't spend as much time with it as I, I would have liked. And there were the, the songs near the end of the record, specifically People Who Eat Darkness, Song of I, Detonation, and Song of Unborn to a certain degree, I hadn't really spent as much time with and, and hadn't really been as into when we did that record. Certainly, Song of I and Detonation fell into that category. Having spent as much time with this record as I now have, I love it in its entirety, front to back, top to bottom. And those songs in particular have become very high points for me. I look forward to getting to that point in the record. And I don't know if that's because, you know, it took me a long time to get into those. And oftentimes the songs or albums that require the most effort to quote unquote get are resonate with me more strongly. Or if it's a matter of, you know, I just you know, I just get them now, and so it's it's good. I, I don't really know, but it doesn't really matter. What really matters is the fact that even if I didn't get them entirely at the time, I totally do now, and I would never, ever consider skipping them. And in fact, I revel in where Stephen takes me with those. So, you know, again, all of this is is just to say that even to this day, so we're now a full year after we finished recording the segment on Stephen Wilson, and I'm still listening to these records, um, maybe not as much as I had been, uh, but certainly I still do listen to them, and certainly in times when I am supposed to be listening to something else in support of the podcast, but I find myself compelled to listen to these records. So... The reason I wanted to do this episode is because this segment in particular on the Stephen Wilson catalog really had a profound impact on me and and showed me a catalog, albeit a, a small, relatively small catalog, that was in much more powerful than I would have realized initially, and that has resonated with me continually ever since. And that is part of why we do progressive palaver and why we attempt to cover the full catalogs to the extent that we are able, you know, and, and this is why I did the whole extra segment on the John Payne Asia era and, and even the reformed original Asia was because I wanted to have an understanding of that of that body of work. And when I do that, I can sometimes get more out of it than I would have otherwise. And, and certainly with Stephen Wilson, I did that. So these are just, again, my quick thoughts on the Stephen Wilson catalog. And I wanted to share with you guys the fact that I just keep listening to this. I love these these records so much. And I'm looking forward to the next Stephen Wilson record. 
And it occurs to me that there was something that I forgot to mention that also enhanced my pleasure in these last three records. And that is there are documentary films on, certainly on the making of Raven, Hand Cannot Erase, and To the Bone. We talked, I think we talked at length on the the video on making to the bone and, you know, all of the character that Paul Stacy and his studio sort of, sort of brought to that. And, you know, when you think about when the guy playing the harmonica comes in and he, you know, he's asking for, you know, mood lighting and he just freaking shreds your face off with that. And, you know, everything in that studio with all of Paul's gadgets and everything else, it, it, it really enhances the the understanding of that record well when you look at the recording the making of videos for the other two albums it's very funny to see that the studios they were in were completely different from from that and from each other so you know sort of walking through that and seeing how those other records were made and and how they were made in different environments you know again add something to the character of those records. So um, I'm glad I remembered to to say that. But now I will, really will finish up. And, you know, again, just I just wanted to share these thoughts. And, you know, if you guys have any thoughts or comments about the Stephen Wilson catalog, if there's something particular about it that, that resonates with you or that, that you continually go back to, we'd love to hear about it. So you can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We are at ProgPala on all of those, or search for Progressive Palaver. You can email us. Our email address is ProgPala, that's P-R-O-G-P-A-L-A, at gmail.com. Progressive Palaver is available for subscription and download on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or presumably wherever you find your podcast. And we are, as always, hosted on SoundCloud. So... Until next time, thanks for listening.